Warning, the following broadcast may contain pervasive language of a graphic or vulgar nature. It is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. And may fictional Jesus have mercy on your souls. Enjoy the show. Introducing the award-list winning podcast, it's the Intellectual Saviors. With your hosts, the pedo. If it was like eight inches flaccid, I'd be walking around naked all the time. The ginger bear. And then you take a shit, but while you're taking a shit, you come. And the pivot man. I do not want to appear racist, but I just feel like it's really hard to be black and hot. They haven't won any awards, but they've won your hearts. Oh, yeah. Man, I was so fucked up that night. Yeah, a little drunk. I don't remember saying that. touch. Anyway, everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Saviors. Hello. Um, Yeah, we're going to go through a little uh, opener here, give you some of our typical uh, bullshit. Oh, my. Um, And then after that, we have a uh, wonderful interview from uh, Zoltan Isfin. Is that what he said his last name? Isfin? Isfin? A uh, just delightful gentleman that's got a lot of uh, interesting philosophical ideas and uh, a lot of um, good... I mean, it's a lot of stuff that you probably heard on this show. It's just in a kind of different perspective. Much more extreme, much more futuristic. Well, Well, I mean, extreme, but I don't really know if that's like necessarily how far he wants to put it. I think it's more or less like he's saying that that is the potential if we dropped all the all the crap and actually tried to progress as a civilization. Yeah, that would be like a stop funding military so, spending. And, I mean, he's definitely down for, you know, pretty much everything that we're down for as far as, you know, education, funding science, uh, breaking down the uh, industrial military complex, um, you know, a, a lot of different things. How about uh, the fascination with the penis? I'm actually not, I'm I, not kidding about that. I don't know what you're talking about, but yeah. I do want to point I out. I feel like a lot of the gun culture has the, a big fascination with oh, penis. I actually think that's yeah. a big deal in terms what of these gentlemen, oh, absolutely. Why do you think they all be- drive big trucks or fast cars? Shut with up. a rifle rack? Shut the fuck up, you yeah. idiots. What these guys are talking about <laughs> is his book, The Transhumanist Wager, which is what we're going to be discussing, and uh, the theme of it, which is transhumanism, of course, which that makes sense since it's in the title and all. That's... That's what they're talking Very about. Very intuitive, Michael. Well, Eric didn't mention <laughs> that, and the people listening, they're like, what are these guys talking about? I don't even know. Well, so that's why they have to them. wait until we get to the interview part. I'm just it. throwing that out. I'm not telling them what, what happens. Um, it's special. If Whenever you hear the interview, if you can't tell, uh, we, we kind of tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to make it clear that... Uh, Mr. Uh, Istvan, he he really doesn't have much to do with this opener at all. In fact, no, none of nothing. it. <laughs> so he has no idea what you guys. Are if you are with. a fan of his that has been brought uh, to our show, then we apologize if we offend you. But it's probably going to happen within this opener. It may happen <laughs> immediately. <laughs> but it had nothing to do with him. He was just kind enough to grace us with his presence and his intellect, and uh, we definitely appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so let's. Uh, 
mosey on with this. Um, I guess I can go into my thing first. Um, and I want to bring it up because it definitely seems uh, coincidental that I came across this uh, because it's we relevant. were doing the, the transhumanist uh, you know, whole thing uh, this week. Uh, Google has now backed a company called uh, Calico. And this company is focused on stopping the aging process. Um, Time Magazine is going to be running a whole big thing on it. Uh, they have... Uh, it's not released yet, so we have yet to see what Time Magazine has on it. Uh, but USA Today had a little report on it. And um, the, the company is essentially just designed to uh, try and use every kind of technology to uh, really extend life. Um, which kind of a little bit goes into Google's uh, transhumanist ventures, whether or not they want to claim them to be transhumanist, like the driverless car. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would yes. definitely be transhumanist because that is essentially taking out the human equation and the errors that we make that can result in uh, deaths and car accidents or dismemberments or whatever and uh, would result in a safing, uh, safer driving experience, which would hence extend life. Which is exactly what transhumanism is. And, yep, you uh, can text your ass off while you're driving. If then. you can't tell at the beginning of the interview that, uh, uh, I don't know about Michael, but myself, I was apprehensive and I wasn't really quite clear on what transhumanism is. Um, but I, I, I think I am a transhumanist. I just didn't know it. <laughs> because I'm all for uh, using science to uh, better the way that we live. And that's essentially what he... He boiled it down too. Yeah, so. that's the kind of the point I made. I think people who are secular, I think, can easily adapt to it that way of thinking. I, I don't think- want to go too far into it because, uh, after no. all, in the entire interview, we didn't hear Boggs once. Yeah, Boggs. Uh, How's it going over there, buddy? So <laughs> I think he needs to do you doing some all right? Because this is all I'm you're going to get from him, bastard. <laughs> you can play a little song. Uh, for Boggs, totally Bog, Boggs is a, a big Debbie Downer uh, as of late. Boggs is a Debbie Downer. A lot of a lot of bullshit going on in life, which is understandable. It can get you down. We get it. That's why Boggs is going through a rough patch. See, I'm a fucking man. I am too, but I can handle it. He's a he can't. <laughs> so that's why I try and bring in fun stories to lighten well, Boggs every time. To to be fair. You've kind of gone through some shit yourself. I'm so old. I just don't give a shit anymore. I'm just saying. Eric, that's ha- what it is. Ha- having a girlfriend who birthed your child who was a stripper and was a drug addict and all this other shit, <laughs> you, you're cut, you you have that shielding. You know what I mean? I've got a little bit of a like, past. You, I've got you, a little bit of a past. You've, uh, you, you've put on that Kevlar. You've kind of been able to build up that wall. Yeah. Box, he's a youngin. He is young. Man. He doesn't quite understand all that shit yet, so he's kind of going through some crap, and it's 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 hitting hard. So we get it. I mean, he could almost be my son. I mean, regardless that he completely forgot Dude, a giant piece of our equipment gonna... that would help with the Skype interview that oh. made us be late, and uh, I'm pretty sure Zoltan was sitting there going, uh, "Do I really want to do this?" Oh my god. <laughs> Very possibly didn't oh, he is, so he was he's, very hesitant. He's a me. he's a trooper for sticking it, you know, sticking with it and uh, giving us a chance. And yeah, we we definitely appreciate it. So and we were awesome like usual. <laughs> I mean, we didn't fail. Uh, I'll let you guys know that right now. So anyway, Boggs, since you're not feeling good over there, I want to tell you why your life isn't so bad. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> I want you guys to. Uh, 
listen to this and tell me where you think this guy's parents went wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> That's a brilliant setup. So, Jonathan Hardy, 31 years old, of Seattle, Washington, crashed his car while high on meth, okay. wearing no pants, okay. and wearing fake breasts. I don't uh, don't even ask. I don't know how that's possible. Were they like plastic, synthetic, or latex? The story is very unspecific. It only says fake well, breasts. Well, damn it! I gotta know these facts. I will try and look those. I'm up trying to for paint the, the picture show. in my head. I'm assuming he just had like don't a. Don't ask me why I'm trying with, to paint a picture of a guy driving on meth with, with, with no pants, with no pants, and and fake, fake boobs. boobs. <laughs> well, he but was I'm trying to imagine it. This is for an incident that happened back in April, and he was uh, sentenced to 29 months in prison uh, because. As he was uh, high on meth and pantsless, he uh, was doing about 100 miles an hour and hit a few cars. At the time, oh, wow. he had just, his... Just a few. No one was injured. I mean, a few stitches and stuff. No one killed. Uh, his two daughters, ages four and six, were in the car with him at the time. Oh, he, uh, God. He had put them in the car. This was in the uh, wee hours of the morning. He told him he was going to take him to the toy store. <laughs> so... Uh, the fun part is when the police finally caught him and pulled him over, they noticed that he had a full bottle of urine and a pair of uh, ladies' panties down by his feet in the floorboard. Uh, the girls weren't injured, of course, so that's a good thing. So, you know, he's still up for dad of the year. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, he was charged with uh, vehicular assault and uh, hit and run, reckless endangerment. So he's going to be serving 30 months in the prison. Um, that was his third DUI, so evidently that's not a good thing. It, so they took his uh, license away for seven years. So see, you could be uh, this guy, pantsless, high on meth, <laughs> taking really the kids to the toy store. I'm really glad that story the children were not injured. It's, it's yeah. stories like those that make me not want to extend life. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I don't he, want people like that to uh, be living for hundreds of years. <laughs> but if he had a Google car, then he wouldn't be the one driving. So True. everybody would have been fine. True. He would have been high on meth just laying back enjoying it. <laughs> car would have been weaving in and out of traffic. Did that make you feel better that you're not that guy, Boggs? Not, no, not really. No. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Well, because, since you because that fucking happened, that's why. Well, true. That's, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. Well, maybe this one will help you a little better. Oh, All right. God. Since you're having relationship problems, at least you're not having the problems that this couple's having. <laughs> a couple in uh, North Carolina. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you pull these up specifically for Boggs? For, kind of. <laughs> he's always he's so down in the dumps the last few weeks and stuff. I just I trying to try and find things I think will cheer him up. They never seem to work either. It's very, it kind of, <laughs> it's funny. I'm trying to cheer him up, but yet it depresses me. <laughs> so anyway, here's the dealio, Holmes. Okay. So this couple, Reuben and Amber Fox, 23-year-old couple. Okay. Well, they've been accused of having sex with their dogs and filming it and posting it on the internet. <laughs> Unfortunately, the Humane Society was tipped off to their cyber crimes and alerted the Fairfax County Police Department. And they were picked up because of, they traced the IP. So now they've uh, see, the police have seized a computer from the couple's home and they placed their two dogs and three cats into a shelter. Um, they said the worst part about the crime was uh, after she finished having uh, sex with the dogs, uh, she gave it a cigarette and let it have a smoke. That's a joke. Then it really happened. Yeah, that was a really bad one. That was a bad okay. joke. Well, Thanks, Michael. They can't all be winners. Anyway, though, <laughs> so 
if I find any pictures of you and the ex fucking with dogs on the internet, then I'll know you've hit rock bottom. Until then, you got nothing to worry about, Holmes. You're good. Well, see, here's the thing. Like, to somebody like that, that's not rock bottom. Oh. Like, were they doing it? Were they doing it? Were were they doing it for money? (laughs) No, I think they're just doing it for fun. Exactly. That's not rock bottom for them. For them, that's just like what they do. (laughs) Rock hard. Damn it. It's just a fun Tuesday night. Yeah. So, unfortunately for them, they they face charges of uh, bestiality, conspiracy, and disseminated obscene materials. And the wife, Amber, unfortunately, she also faces the additional charge of soliciting a crime against nature. I don't know why that's funny to me. I mean, really, can't you like put that penalty on like pretty much any energy company? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, did they even ask? Pretty the dogs? much any uh, giant energy sucking, pollution ridding. I don't understand. Company, don't the dogs want that though? I mean, I'm. Th- I don't know. Some dogs probably get into it. I don't know if there's war. I mean, how do you know if there, it was a rape or not with a dog? Well, I mean, maybe the dog was asking for it. <laughs> He's wearing a short skirt. Well, I mean, hold on. Okay, was it... It's running around the house naked all the time. (laughs) Was it both of them doing things with dogs? Or was it like... Just as the wife. Oh, just the wife getting it from the dogs? The husband was filming it. Oh. Well, I mean, shit. The dog's going to get excited. It's going to do something, right? Yeah. Sure. I don't really know that that should be a crime. I just think that's fucking weird. Oh, you don't think it should be a crime, huh? What's really criminal about that? Do you realize that it's only legal to have marijuana in two states? But it's legal to have sex with a horse in twenty three. <laughs> That's I right. Did not know that. Write that down. <laughs> and upcoming on our website, we're going to list those twenty three states <laughs> we're doing for seg- your pleasure. We're doing a segment Ooh. on one every week. Why did I say that? I don't know, weeks. but that's a great pun. <laughs> God Almighty. I don't even know if we should keep going. Should we just end this yes, now? Yes, just now. The, the interview is no, long enough as it is. I have no desire to do this show anymore. Are you going to do, <laughs> do a song for us, dude? I don't know. Do a song for us, and then we'll fucking finish God, it. God, Boggs is so freaking Come defeated. on, man. What is your problem? <clears throat> Get with it, man. This is the only reason why we have you here. I <laughs> know. You know what I was thinking? It's we're, so sad. Uh, we're like the Tonight Show. Eric's like Johnny Carson. I'm kind of like the Ed McMahon, and you're our uh, band leader. You're our Doc Kevin, Severinsen Kevin over Eubanks there. Kevin Eubanks or whatever the fuck that other guy's Nah, dude, I'm old school. I'm old. I'm going Johnny Carson. You're talking fucking Leno. Fuck Leno. Like the first age Leno. Because now he has a new band, doesn't he? Yeah. I don't think it's Kevin Eubanks anymore. I wonder why that is. Just like, hey, I don't, we, I don't think I've ever watched a full I haven't late seen night him. show. Really? Ever. Because he's terrible. That's because typically after the monologue, it's like they have guests on that I do not give a shit about. <laughs> right. Like, no, the, you, like the, the musical artist is always like, eh. You don't care what the Kardashians are up to or anything like that? No. Hmm. I give two shits less for them. Oh, my. What do you got for us over there? Um, I don't know. I could play some Coldplay. Ugh. <laughs> That's what I was playing just now. I know. You don't like Coldplay? No, Coldplay's... Play the Balls, song. Dude. Play the song you were playing earlier tonight for us. Don't worry cool. if you don't know the words. That was Coldplay. Oh, you're talking about Kiss no. Me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just make Eric, it up as you go. Eric would be totally into that, which is really weird how he doesn't like Coldplay. Trying hard to speak, and I'm fighting with my weekend. Driven to distraction, it's all part of the plan. When something is broken, and you're trying. Trying to repair it any way you can. 
Especially when I do Coldplay. I do better than Chris Martin. Oh. Well, I dive in at the deep end and you become my best friend. I want to love you, but I don't know if I can. I know something is and why by Coldplay. I, I I do like your version better, uh, but um, just just lyrically, just saying there aren't tidal waves in outer space. That doesn't make sense at all. No, there's two metaphors. There's you're floating on a tidal wave, and then you're drifting into outer space. Hmm. Two metaphors. But why would you be doing both? Because they're metaphors. Now you're not doing floating either. on a tidal wave and then drifting to shore. Bam! Now that's a fucking lyric. That's one. I just metaphor. upped Coldplay right there, right out of my fucking brain. <laughs> that's right, bitch. Also, 
They wouldn't use the same vowel sound, really. That's all I got. Look, look at me I'm trying to argue. Look at me band. trying to argue with the multi-million-dollar Grammy Award-winning multi-platinum album. <laughs> He's gold. Did that actually go platinum? His, I don't know. Oh, I'm I, sure I would it did. It did. Dude. Popular well, actually, as hell, dude. shit. Never mind. That had speed of sound on it. That had to go platinum. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I play that one too. No. <laughs> Good. Is that going to be my new segment? Like, I'm better than you? <laughs> Actually, you know what? You I pick on somebody who's Hold made up, a lot dude. more money and is more successful than me. You know what? You could play us going out on that. Which means... We're not going out right now. Fucking stop. <laughs> it means fucking stop. My thoughts go fine. That means box is done. <laughs> is what that means. <laughs> Show you how it all began. That's actually that, that needs to be one when Kristen comes back. No, eventually. seriously, shut the fuck up. Because that requires so much piano. Uh, yeah, it does, and yeah, I don't know if she's ever gonna come back. But anyway, <coughs> I asked her to come back tonight, and she said she couldn't because she has shit to do tomorrow, which is basically like the most blow-off bullshit statement ever. She's like, "No, I can't. I got laundry to do tomorrow." We don't need her back anyway, dude. We gotta wait till she's safe. Yeah, we've again. been more successful without her. <gasps> oh, boom. It's the dick of the week. I'll make this quick for you guys. Originally, I kind of just did the fucking sellout thing this week. I'm like, I think I'm going to give the dick of the week to the Republican Congress because they voted this week to take $40 billion of food stamp money away, which would take uh, funding away from about 250,000 kids getting school lunches it take about 180,000 um, or food away from about 180,000 vets that are homeless and stuff right now. And I thought, eh, you know what, that's bad enough. Then they decided they're going to extort Obama with the debt ceiling. Last time they threatened to uh, hold up the debt ceiling, raising it, um, we lost our AAA rating, and you know the economy took another little fucking hit. Now they're trying to extort him for it, saying if he doesn't repeal Obamacare himself, that they're going to do it. I'm like. These fucking guys, they're awful. And then last night, I was watching the news, and I saw the worst fucking people ever, and I'm like, these are my dicks of the week. Um, if you waited online or fucking spent the night waiting for the new iPhone 5, you are a piece of shit. You are my dick of the week. <laughs> Anybody who fucking waited more than a fucking hour online or stuck a fucking tin up, a sleeping bag, or anything to get another goddamn phone they don't need. Knowing they already had an iPhone in their fucking hand while they're waiting to get the new one that is going to have one fucking different feature, or because it's gold, why the fucking new one's gold or something. Uh, Yeah, now there's the gold color. Yeah, you guys are the scum and of the... And it can scan your fingerprint. Oh, they're the scum of the fucking earth. So now they can directly download it to the NSA. Those are the people that I fucking hate the most in the world right now. They, they're worse than the Republican Congress taking away fucking food money for kids. Dicks of the week. <laughs> I, I, Priorities, I, gentlemen. I think Priorities. it's a little extreme. I think taking food away from hungry mouths is kind of a... That's, that's, pretty, that's pretty dickish. I think well, sleeping in a tent for an iPhone is definitely a white person I mean, problem, though. Maybe so. That, that is like... That is definitely convoluted and very. Um, oh my god, dude! It, it there, yeah. There's better things to do with your time than that, for sure. 
it was Absolutely. just it was just me just watching these people sit out there, and then there was like fights breaking out and shit over like the places in line. I'm just looking at this. Like, shit on there's TV not going like, to be five billion of them come a couple of months, dude. I, I'm just I'm like this is everything that's wrong with the fucking world. Like you, they they joke about it in uh, Futurama, uh, one of their episodes where the new iPhone comes out and. Uh, the, the main character, Fry, he walks up to the counter and he's like, do you still have one? He's like, I think we might have one. And he just reaches behind hand behind a curtain that's just like mass producing a million of them. But, uh, and it just hands to me. He's like, oh, Chinese we do. Kids. You're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no, they have a billion of those fucking things out there. Oh. You're going to get one. You don't have to wait in line. Uh, just but that, that's kind of the culture as it is. It's like you have to be the first to get everything. Yep. You know what I mean? it's and not only that but then you have the social media and all that stuff like i the i'm pretty sure you guys heard about the the mayweather uh alvarez fight oh yeah like the, a couple of weeks ago i, I heard there's some stuff uh, going on there with the judging but it was like you know it was like a big fight and everybody had, like, had to see it you know what i didn't even bother you know what i did i went on twitter and then i just like just did the hashtag mayweather thing and just looked at the recent tweets and i seriously just refreshed and i got like play by play up to date everything i need to know i didn't even have to watch it like it was just genius twitter (laughs) like really that that's how disgusting we become as a society is that we tweet the most asinine ridiculous crap oh i know i do do it every day speaking of speaking of twitter if you're listening to us now (laughs) oh we're now doing this you might want to follow us at the intel saviors be sure to catch us on the facebook the Podbean, the itunes whatever else stitcher we're on every fucking thing tune in just type in intellectual savers you'll find us and our new website intellectualsavers.com go there or be square yeah Wow. Is that fucking 50s or what? Uh, Box, pick that guitar right back up and let's finish this. (laughs) No, 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 no. No, we got to do interview time. Oh, yeah, I forgot. We have our special, special guest. Okay, joining us now is the author of the Transhumanist Wager, um, Zoltan Ishvan. And uh, first of all, I want to point out Zoltan is nice enough to join us to uh, discuss his book. And. I wanted to make sure to make clear that he is a guest of ours and is no way affiliated with our show. Um, like everybody else who comes on wants us to say before they start talking. I don't know why. I, I don't, don't either. <laughs> I haven't figured that out yet. So how is it going, Sultan? Uh, great. And uh, thanks so much for thanks so much for the disclaimer. And also thanks so much for uh, having me on your show. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, you know, first of all, I think we talked a little bit beforehand, and um, we wanted to kind of go over a little bit of your past, um, you, you know, just so people know kind of where you're coming from. Um, I was thinking maybe you could kind of go down a little bit of uh, some of the things you've done in the past as far as um, work-related stuff and your journalism um, career beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think uh, my life really began when I uh, uh, bought a very small sailboat, a 25-footer, uh, right around the age of 21 and uh, started sailing around the world. Uh, the sailboat was an excellent uh, opportunity to carry a, a ton of books with me, and I sort of just wanted to go traveling um, and uh, read a lot of books And uh, right after college, and it was just kind of a great uh, experience. But it helped form me in a lot of different ways. I saw a million things, been to around 100 countries plus at this point, and also uh, um, it got me involved in journalism, which is uh, 
eventually, about five, six years later, how I got involved with the National Geographic Channel. And then, uh, you know, for around four uh, years, just worked uh, for them most of the time uh, on both on the sailboat and off the sailboat and doing all sorts of uh, really uh, fun and exciting stories. And uh, I think working for National Geographic just gave me a whole uh, new perspective because some of the things that I was covering, whether it was uh, conflicts, Zones. I, I did a lot of conflicts to begin with, or just some of the uh, indigenous tribes that I visited, or just some of the cultural things that I saw. It was a real mind-expanding experience for everything. Also, um, now I don't know if this was before or after. I read that you were the communications director for Wild Aid as well. Was that a before National Geographic, or did you use your experiences from that to get that position and work within it? Yeah, so uh, and Wild Aid is, is an absolutely... Uh, a wonderful organization. Basically, they're one of the most aggressive organizations that is stop, uh, attempting to stop the illegal wildlife trade. And most people don't know this, but it's a $20 billion industry. And um, right after human trafficking and, and drugs and stuff like that. So it's a, a massive industry and they're out there trying to stop it. And um, actually, I was covering them for a story for National Geographic. And uh, that's how I made the connection with them. And a year later, they said, hey, if you uh, have the time, come on uh, board with us. And so I was in Southeast Asia as the uh, communication director uh, of Cambodia, which is their largest country at the time. And, um, and I was uh, just uh, going on a lot of patrols uh, with our rangers, and they're always armed. And essentially, you're, you're somewhat hunting the poachers. You're actually trying to uh, stop them. And if you have to, using arms to uh, uh, stop them from doing what they do, which is essentially kill tigers and collect wildlife, especially a lot of endangered stuff, and then sell it overseas and mostly to China. Um. I mean, it's it's pretty uh, disgusting to me as far as the way the human race treats uh, nature. And I know that you are a, a big uh, proponent for uh, Mother Nature and taking care of the environment. Um, but I kind of wanted to go back to uh, some of the, your conflict um, zone interests. Uh, did you ever fear for your life? Because I've always kind of wondered about that, like people that are embedded in that and kind of see it day in and day out. Like, do you feel like an outsider looking in or do you really feel like you're a part of the whole conflict and you're just collateral just like everybody else is? <clears throat> well, I, I think you're collateral. <laughs> and I think, I think honestly, the um, whatever army or uh, you know, military is in charge essentially sees you as collateral. The only difference is that you have a little bit, uh, well, perhaps a lot more, but uh, they don't want to do anything wrong with you because you're the person that brings it out, the news out, and can get them in trouble. Uh, that said, you know, I, I don't think that they fundamentally uh, see journalists as much more different than anyone else that they're just trying to either get rid of or silence or whatever to get their objectives done. And so I have uh, personally, uh, I think, had two very, very close uh, experiences, uh, either um, with some blast or just also, um, you know, <laughs> there was a, uh, and some things don't always turn out as, as, as hardcore as you think. When I was in Pakistan, uh, I got off the bus and I was immediately uh, uh, approached by a bunch of people with guns. And uh, it turned out that they were the Secret Service, and I was uh, just being escorted the entire time that I was going to be in there covering the conflict. However, 
there's they don't have such things, or at least they didn't um, in Kashmir and Musrafabad where I was at badges and stuff like that, and the language barrier was impossible. So, you know, for a good two, three hours, I had no idea if it was a kidnapping or if it was just something else. They ended up being very nice people and probably kept me very safe over the next uh, uh, week that I was there. But those are the kind of things that you've I've had happen, and uh, and they can be incredibly uh, incredibly scary. Um, but I, you know, I have not actually had any uh, bullet wounds or anything of uh, of that nature, thankfully. Now, you brought up the Pakistani thing. Now I read that you had been a part of a documentary called Pawns of Paradise. Is that during the filming of that 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 incident took place? Yes, yes. In fact, uh, I have most of that uh, on film. Uh, of course, I didn't film. Uh, as soon as they were coming uh, to get me right off the bus. Essentially, you know, you, you go from Pakistan into Kashmir, and even though it's part of Pakistan, or at least they claim, it's still all a contested area. And so as soon as you cross these borders, it really does become kind of no man's land, and it becomes a full scale. I mean, these are Indian Pakistan have been at war at, with each other over these this area for um you know, 60 odd years. Yeah. And so there's so much military involved. You really, there, there, there's very little, um, there's civilians, but you just really can't tell anymore. At least in, in Islamabad, you, f- you know what the police force looks like. They're dressed like police. Um, as soon as you get to these other areas, even a lot of the military people are no longer dressed like military people. They're just, everyone's just carrying around their AK-47s. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty, um, hardcore kind of area to enter and then as soon as you get off the bus into the main some of the main uh, drop-off points uh you know you it's really quite scary you have no idea what's going on and no one speaks any english and uh things like uh, even cell phones and stuff like that at least the time i was there was uh, were very hard to come by not to get off but just to kind of maybe give a little promotion on that as well i have seen um, stories on that before and i'm pretty interested in that area i I have to admit, I tried to look up the uh, documentary itself, and I really couldn't find it. Is there somewhere in particular that I'd be able to find that documentary? Uh, uh, unfortunately, so, you know, pawnsofparadise.com is the website, and you can go and look. There's some uh, promotional videos, but the, the the documentary is actually with a distribution company right now, okay. and I've, I've been kind of on strict terms that I'm not allowed okay. to – to show it, even though I, I did run the documentary through film festivals for the first year, and that's actually how I secured a, a distributor in the first place. But the best you can do is just go onto um, YouTube and type in, you know, either Zoltan Ishvan slash Kashmir or Zoltan Ishvan Kashmir National Geographic, and that video and a couple of videos of that, uh, some of the stuff in there should come up, including a highlight video. Uh, but unfortunately, I. I you know, somewhat signed off the rights, and the people representing it are are uh, have told me to, you know, not be able to show it. I know how it works. We've, like I said, <laughs> we've talked to people in the music industry, so we have where that. Yeah, like I said, I saw a little uh, clip of it, and it looked pretty interesting to me. And I saw the, like you said, all the different awards that you guys had won in some of the the smaller film um, things. So yeah, it's definitely interesting. It so, um, sorry that uh, you're not going to get the uh, funds for that that you probably so richly deserve, but. Um, <laughs> Hey, what are you going to do? So, of course, the main reason we have you on here is to talk about um, your new novel, The Transhumanist Wager. Now, I do want to bring up that this book on Amazon, you hit number one in the science fiction and the philosophy category, which I think is apropos because I saw that you have uh, degrees from Columbia University. Get ready for that. I mispronounced a lot of stuff. Uh, In religious studies and philosophy. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, it was it was number one in science fiction visionary. Okay. Uh, as well, and number one in philosophy. Um, 
uh, on Amazon. And, and yes, I, I do have a, a degree in philosophy and religion um, from Columbia. And um, yeah, I was really uh, excited, especially about the philosophy category, because uh, uh, you know, for those that study it, that represents a, a kind of a special point. And I've been um, uh, just really happy to uh, have the book do as well as it's kind of done. It's only been about four months since I've released it. And I'm an indie author, so that, you know, I don't have, uh, there's no promotional team, it's just me and uh, me and my computer. And, um, and I've just been trying to do my best to get it out there. And uh, it seems to have hit the, the right people and got some good reviews. So it has been slowly catching on, uh, in fact, quite, a, quite quickly at the moment right now. I'm, I'm a little curious. Um because of your background in journalism and, you know, having some of the connections I would think you have, how come do you think it was so difficult for you to find a publisher for it? Or did you want to go independent? No, no. In fact, uh, you know, I, I tried, I, had, I got 668 refusal letters. In fact, I tried every publisher and literary agent that I could find in the various books in the country. And um, a lot of people requested to look at it. Um, the, the problem is uh, that it, it really is in highly anti-religious yeah. and, and you know it's become this incredibly controversial oh yeah it's always an issue yeah story you know even the a couple places ran some uh, articles or reviews on it recently and you know the, i think there's 91 comments on the iet article uh that came out about four or five days ago it was a, a negative review but not necessarily a re negative review on the book or the writing just a negative review on the actual um the morality of the ideas themselves and like I said, it's, it's highly anti-religious. It goes way beyond your normal atheistic uh, perspective. And I think that really turns off a lot of both publishers and agents at the time because it, um, it just seems like, well, how can you sell a book that's so angry or so uh, at least going to turn off people so much? The truth, though, is that there's a huge body of people out there uh, that have very you know, secular values, that have atheistic perspectives, and are willing to even cross further lines than that and think, how far should we take uh, you know, our, our atheism, especially in the face of a, you know, a planet that's about 95% religious and is, in, you know, is stopping some of the science and technology that would enable uh, humanity to live better. And this is kind of why we get into, we get into transhumanism, which is essentially uh, some of those ideas, using transhumanism to uh, essentially live better, uh, live longer, and, uh, and hopefully help all of society to be uh, just a better place. But nobody really saw that perspective. What they saw was the anti-religious attitude. And I think that's why most um, publishers and agents turned it down. However, you know, now that the book's been so successful, I, I've already had a number of people approach me. Uh, but, you know, I put in all my work now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've spent, you know, a year doing the promotional stuff and, and all the editing my stuff myself. So it, it, uh, it kind of defeats the purpose at this point um, to necessarily try to sell it off when I have already uh, gone through the entire system. Oh yeah, that's that's kind of how it works with any medium. It's if you go out independent and you're successful, then all of a sudden all the money grabbers want to jump in and say, "Hey, we're on board." And it's like, well, you told me to fuck off last time, so why do you care oh. now? <laughs> no, absolutely. And I, I got to be be honest, they did tell me to fuck off. That was exactly the kind of uh, <laughs> stuff that I heard from a huge amount of people. Uh, people would actually sometimes not even email me back, uh. and uh, and you know just the amount of. Uh, 
I don't know exactly, but just viciousness that I have received once people actually got into the book and said, oh, wow, you're that type of person. And of course, <laughs> you know, I, I keep telling everyone it's, it's a novel that's designed to... Uh, yeah, not everybody thinks that Stephen King is a serial killer. Like <laughs> ex Exactly, exactly. You know, and, uh, and it's just a book and it's designed to provoke ideas. And, you know, I wasn't... What's wrong with provoking ideas? So... Well, I think it's because you, you hit close to home. I think that's why, like... My analogy, Stephen King, like he goes to an, a whole nother perspective, uh, but you really hit people where it hurts. So I think they, they get very defensive and uh, they view it as, you know, that that's how you feel. You actually think that, you know, the, the actions that your main character does in the book should do. Um, and I know that you've probably gotten a lot of flack for the uh, polarization in the book and how black and white it is. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you had an aim and a goal and a reason to do that. Um, do you think you can go into that a little bit? Yeah, sure. And, and just so your listeners know, um, you know, transhumanism, just the actual Latin just means beyond human. And so it's really, uh, there's a lot of weird definitions about transhumanism, but basically it just means using science and technology to uh, enable your life and make it better and hopefully especially make yourself live longer. And, it, you know, I mean, getting in a car is a very transhumanist uh, idea, uh, picking up any tool. I mean, at, at that point when we actually started um, improving ourselves by using other material objects and now we use, you know, smartphones and whatnot, these are all kind of transhumanistic uh, ideas. So it's not something that's so far-fetched. People hear it and they think, ah, oh, it's crazy science fiction. But, you know, ultimately, uh, I support a huge amount of the ideas in the book, and I thought incredibly deeply through them. And I know that some of them would never necessarily come true or you would ever be put in that kind of dilemma where you would have some of those moral choices. But I believe it's very interesting to write about it, and I also believe it's very interesting to talk about it and, um, and discuss and try to say, hey, is this something that works? I mean, politicians have been doing this for years with game theory and the Cold Wars and stuff like that. And the book is very similar to that. It's designed to ask these questions and put you in a corner and say, well, what would you do um, to in this set of circumstances? And essentially, the, the story is about one man who wants to live forever, and he'll do anything to achieve it. And he's not going to live forever by, you know, praying to some sun god or uh, some person on a cross or something like that. He's going to do it with his hands and what he can use. And he's got tools. He's got computers. He's got uh, all sorts of uh, resources at, at his fingertips. He's going to use science and technology to try to make it so that he doesn't have to die. And that's essentially the, the foundation of the book. I think the controversy has come from the morals that he uses, the idea that he would do it at the expense of anything. And uh, that's a very, very, uh, you know, uh, selfish subject to say it that way. But um, it's it's not uh, so different than I think a lot of people would feel if, you know, they were at the train tracks and they had to save someone who was going to be hit or some of these cartoons we watched as a, a young, ch young uh, children. There are some incredibly more difficult moral choices that we must all make. And it rarely actually comes to our lives when we actually have to make them. But it's certainly worth thinking about it. And that's what the book does. It puts uh, a single character in a position where he has to make some incredibly tough moral choices. And he constantly makes them um, in favor of him living forever. How very uh, philosophical of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I can't. I, I don't think you used your degree to write the book at all, did you? Mm. <laughs> no, not. Well, so, you know, it's funny because I was on the, uh, the philosophy chat boards on Reddit the other day, and they actually are looking for more technical ideas. But a lot of the ideas in the book, well, 
using a, a philosophical background, they're actually layman's ideas. They're just they're popular uh, social philosophies, and it's uh, it's nothing too uh, grand. It's just a lot of times we never think about some of these things. And, uh, you know, we don't think about well, what, if you had a choice and you were going to walk out of your studio and someone's going to shoot you, what would you do in your last five minutes? These are thoughts that we don't actually think of, but yet it, pre- it presents a really interesting uh, set of ideas. And if you actually thought about it and took it further and said, well, how would I live the last five minutes of my life? Those five minutes might be the most special. And so the book is trying to bring us to a new uh, elevated type of psychology, at least an elevated type of perspective about how we can live our lives and how we should be dedicated to um, doing our best to preserve it, especially in the 21st century when, um, at least in my opinion, death has become, um, I don't want to say obsolete yet, but I want to say that it's something that can, with enough money, and we have enough money on planet Earth, to, to solve it in 10 to 15 years if we really put our resources to it. And unfortunately, um, with 95% of the world being religious, no one really uh, cares to do that because they think there's some afterlife. It's crazy. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I wanted to get into with transhumanism is uh, your ideas behind um, – because humanity is so stuck. They're stuck in a rut. Uh, they're stuck in the past with these religious ideas. Uh, we're extremely uh, ignorant and violent. And uh, any kind of new technology that comes around, if they can somehow make that into a weapon or make it a military application – that's more or less where the funding is going to go. It's not going to go towards the betterment of mankind. It's going to go towards, well, what can kill people the best? Or uh, what can the military-industrial complex use this as a function to make it more streamlined? Um, and that, that's kind of what uh, made me a little apprehensive when I started looking into transhumanism was that if we really divulge a lot of attention to... Uh, new technologies and branching out and trying to uh, enhance human life, how would that technology be used? Because after all, I mean, when we learned how to split the atom, we decided to put all of our funding into how to make an A-bomb to blow the crap out of cities. No, and I mean, in fact, that's an an excellent question because it brings up some of the the classic worries about transhumanism, transhumanism, which is essentially a... Will everyone participate in the new technologies or, we're just, or will just some uh, tiny elite uh, benefit? And also the idea of will social orders remain the same or will something completely digress and just a few people actually uh, get to move ahead and everyone else just uh, you know, sort of disappear or succumb to chaos? I'm a, a believer that as long as a lot of the uh, economic systems stay in place or more or less – uh, you know, technology will sort of be like the iPhone, which is, you know, when the cell phone first came out, uh, it seemed like only the rich would have it. But it only took a few years between before a lot of the uh, middle classes got it. And now it turns out that virtually, I mean, most people in the world, even in, you know, third world in, in Africa and some of the poorest countries have cell phones, some some of them having two or three. So it's it's the idea that I believe that in the in the coming future, if we're very careful and we're guarded and we use history as a little bit of an example to not uh, screw things up too much, we will be able to um, give everyone the technology um, to both improve their lives while, without leaving at least 
you know, not leaving the majority of uh, people behind. I don't know if everyone's going to accept it. I bet a huge amount of people are just going to say, no thanks. We don't want to augment our brains. We don't want to uh, cut off our arms and put on robotic arms. We don't want to disappear into machines and be uploaded. So I'm, I'm assuming a lot of people will say no. But I don't think those that uh, say yes will necessarily be left behind if we are very careful about it. But your concern is certainly my own concern because I do not belong to that uh, super rich elite and I also don't want to get left behind. Um, not to get too off topic, and you, you kind of brought up uh, economic strain, uh, but this is just a, a fight that me and Boggs have been having for uh, many, many of uh, shows. But what is your idea behind uh, economics and uh, the monetary paradigm? Uh, do you think that money is a good thing? Do you think it still serves a purpose? Or do you think it's kind of a, a useless tool that humans still use that's kind of archaic and could be dropped uh, and if we just kind of lived a more free society to where we were just able to learn and better ourselves, that we would be better off as a species as a whole. So I, I subscribe to the idea that a system that uses money is going to be beneficial up until the point when we can clearly see that it's, it's no longer uh, useful or it's causing so much disruption in people's lives that we shouldn't use it. At this point in time, it seems almost impossible to go anywhere and to you know, move about the, the normal world without it. That said, you know, I think a lot of my sequel of, of The Transhumanist Wager will be based on AI. And I am re realizing as I look a little bit more and more into the philosophy that it's hard to imagine that a bunch of machines might necessarily use money. They might have a much more, uh, you know, uh, communistic, socialistic perspective. Now, I'm not saying I'm supporting any of that. I'm just saying it's possible that uh, there might be a wholeness or a unity that's a lot easier to operate on as technology uh, progresses further. Um, perhaps credits or something like that will be used. I, that's kind of more a replacement of money, but um, perhaps it'll just be more sharing because you have this oneness. Again, this kind of gets, they say AI might be here, the equivalent of a human brain in 15 years, maybe it'll be 25, 30, who knows. Um, but it's one thing's for sure that once it comes here, once it becomes smarter than the human being, uh, it could very quickly change things. It could rewrite virtually every book. It could be uh, uh, have the best podcasts in the world. You know, I mean, those <laughs> kind of things. It, it could just be fascinating. Not and if we're around. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's right. But maybe it will also say, um, you know, uh, my uh, AI brethren, I don't, we don't need, use money. We just, you know, use our kind of uh, together to accomplish our goals. Maybe it'll be some type of value system that is not based on uh, money, but uh, more based on uh, accumulating power together, something like that. Very interesting concepts, but I don't really have an answer, uh, you know, what it would exactly be. But I do believe that as long as we're humans and as long as we're trying to move forward, it would be probably impossible to extricate ourselves kind of from the economic system that we are in right now. And I'm, and I'm not saying we can't change it to, from capitalistic to something else. I'm just saying the idea of gold or money being replaced is, uh, is very hard to imagine. Um, now, th this is kind of a weird out-of-the-park question. Um, but with transhumanism uh, in regards to uh, Mother Nature, um, how do you feel that it really fits and equates to that? Do you think it gets to the point to where we're able to augment ourselves to the point to where we don't need the uh, resources that we consume so it doesn't matter what we do to the planet? Or do you think uh, there somehow needs to be a symbiotic relationship between the two 
And uh, we still need to be, uh, I mean, obviously right now we need to be conservationists, but in the future, if, if all this stuff transpires, that it eventually just becomes a, a useless facsimile that's only taking up space. Well, I, I think ultimately, as we evolve, we'll probably need less and less resources. The idea of uploading ourselves into a machine, the thing that's so great about is that, you know, by that time, uh, I don't know how long it'll be. Some people say 30, 40 years, uh, could be less, could be more. But um, clearly, the uh, the size of a computer chip at that point, we'll probably, uh, with nanotechnology and some of that stuff, be so tiny that it'll probably easily fit on your fingernail or something like that. Um, and, you know, you'd probably be able to fit the entire population of the planet in one single building uh, full of servers or something like that. Uh, that said, so, so what I'm trying to say is with a couple solar panels on top, maybe you could run the whole show. Um, and maybe the Earth will be preserved perfectly. That said, I think if you get to that point, you may not have a need necessarily to preserve the planet. Um, and that's when I think people have to decide, well, how – is this a one-way trip? Are we really going to, when we upload ourselves, are we really leaving the Earth behind? And are we, do we absolutely whatsoever not need it anymore? Uh, maybe from that perspective, Earth is actually quite dangerous, given the history of the dinosaurs dying, uh, at least being going extinct from uh, asteroids and stuff like that. It might be much better to be in space. So there are a couple things like that that are very interesting to consider. That said, you know, I, I love the environment and I love animals and I, <laughs> I just love it all. So I, it's hard to imagine at some point when I'm going to say, well, let's just either uh, take all these resources and use it for ourselves or let's just, you know, uh, either abandon it. But those easily could become the cases. I, when we talk about being transhuman, we're, you know, we're right now we're giving our kind of human perspectives, but, um, as soon as we upload, it might be a very different philosophical uh, paradigm. It might be very different how we our outlook on everything. And so I'm certainly open to considering some of those things. But, um, you know, I'm hoping that whatever happens, uh, Mother Nature will be left intact and perhaps preserved a lot uh, better than it has been so far. Because I do think uh, we are uh, hurting our planet and hurting it for a lot of trinkets and a lot of stupid things that don't necessarily matter in the real lives of, uh, of so many people around the world. Kind of tying that back in a little bit, what you're saying about possibly 30, 40 years down the road, thinking that this could be possible. I was wondering now in your novel, there's the biggest part about, it, I think is the conflict between science and religion, you know, the kind of that tussle going on. I was wondering now, as far as, See, I don't know if the 34-year thing, I don't even know if we could get that. I know technology-wise we could. I mean, in 50 years, we went from, you know, the technology in the Apollo. Now we got more in our cell phones than we had in that. So I know that that's feasible. But as far as with the movement moving on, with religion and politics, do you, I mean, do you actually see how that could be possible? So this is such a great question because I'm, I'm a pretty strong believer that in the next five to ten years um, – I don't know if it's going to be called transhumanism, but the ideas of technology moving uh, so quickly forward are going to hit the uh, very front pages of all the newspapers and Congress and all governments around the world as people actually take a step back and say, wow, we really are five years from AI being the equivalent of a human being. What does that really mean? Um, you know, does it mean a Terminator scenario? Does it mean being uh, more helpful to us? And it also, some of these things with genetic engineering and, you know, get into all these questions. I was on an interview uh, last week 
And um, we were talking about uh, transhuman Olympics. Right now, there's all this controversy between, uh, you know, people using uh, enhancement drugs. But maybe we should let people use enhancement drugs. Maybe that's what will be the, the coolest thing to watch. You know, a runner who can run 70 miles per hour. That's probably the future in 10 years. Um, so there are all these ethical questions that are going to come to the forefront. And I, you know, my, everyone says, oh, you know, your novel, it's not going to be a big conflict like that. But I, I, I do disagree. I think with a, nine, you know, with a huge population base of the planet being so religious and with so many older people being in charge, older is kind of the key word because they're just stuck in their values. Exactly. You know, that I thought, I feel we're going to have conflicts with them. And people like me are going to stand up and say, hey, we want to move forward and you're holding us back. Um, you know, the, the classic example I always use is when George Bush was in office and he um, put kind of a hold on the stem cell yep. research thing. And frankly, there were hundreds of thousands of people around the world that actually, you know, had, you know, hopefully they can get out of wheelchairs and stuff like that. And that stuff was put back for that six, seven years. And honestly, I find that tragic. In fact, I find that criminal. And, um, and that kind of thing really bothers me. And if they continue to do that, um, that's the kind of thing that's going to hold us back. And you're right, that could take it from 35, 40 years to 100, 120 years, who knows, maybe forever. Uh, I worry about that kind of scenario. And I hope as a younger generation comes in and hopefully takes, uh, goes into politics um, and goes into creating laws, they will create laws that are uh, much more um, science friendly and much more uh, transhuman friendly where they'll just say, you know what, it is part of evolutionary destiny for the human being to, to upgrade itself and become better. Yes, we need to do it so that everyone can participate. And yes, we need to do it so that there's a lot of, uh, you know, society can go on without these huge uh, kind of cataclysmic disruptions to it. But at the same time, we need to move forward. And so I'm hoping that that will be the case, though I believe in five to ten years there will be clashes on the street over, these, over some of these things. See, I see a little bit. I mean, we've seen movement where people, when they do like polling and stuff, you know, where do you find yourself religiously? We've seen people move slowly to the non-religious category where they don't claim anymore. Not so much atheistic, but they just, eh, I'm not religious. So there's a small trend going there. But I just, it's like you said, with the people that we have in charge and the system in place— I see a really difficult, you know, I, I don't see it making its way that easily. I mean, for secular people uh, who I think are the more smart people, I think that <laughs> I think with them, I think they they can see the idea of it and they can accept it. But I think with religious people and like you said, 95 percent of the world's, you know, somewhat religious, if not extremist. I just I. I don't see the trend moving that quickly. That's a problem. And it's like you said with the stem cell. I mean, you, you keep having politicians or people that are in power positions that restrict or hold back technologies, science to a point. I don't know. It's, it's very discouraging for me. I mean, I, when I read what you put, I almost, it gets a little violent. I'm not going to get into detail and stuff. Cause you know, we need people to read the book, but the way it goes, I'm almost like that. I can almost actually see that, though. I think you have a point. I don't know if you know five, ten years you're gonna have people in the streets over it, but I could definitely see down the road it happen. But I think it's unfortunate. I think it's gonna be such a long process, though. Well, there's definitely no question that religion has held us back as a species. I mean, you just look at what they did in the Dark Ages, um, and then what they're continuing to do now. Uh, not just with uh, stem cells, but with any anything else. I mean, you have uh, you have sects that still don't even take any kind of basic medication at all. And their children die off and stuff. And it's just, it's disgusting what happens. Um, but I definitely see conflict coming for sure. Um, I don't know how far that escalates. 
Um, I personally think that if we focused a lot more of our resources on education, that we could potentially advert the violence. We could we could kind of delude the conflict to come if we actually focused a lot on education and actually helping uh, the youth understand the benefits of science and medicine. Um, but with that said, I also have uh, an underlined uh, fear because most of our, our top-tier scientists are used uh, as monetary gain. And anybody who knows anything about large corporations is that they will push out something just to make money off of it, regardless of the negativity that it could put on humanity. Just like you were saying with uh, sports, or, uh, you know, GHB and, and uh, uh, or, I'm sorry, human growth hormone, HGH. Um, you know, we really don't know how healthy that is for a person there hasn't been enough research into it uh they just try and push it out there because it makes money uh because they know that these big sports athletes are going to use it so that that's my big fear and i i think i kind of hit on that a little bit but it's just they're going to use it as a monetary gain not necessarily a betterment to mankind no no absolutely and i you know i rant against the corporations in my book because i also think that that they are you know they are after money and they are after that that's about it and this is actually why i'm hoping that you know as people read my book they realize that the the book is really about the concept of living longer perhaps living indefinitely you know i don't want to say forever immortality because technically i don't who knows about that but you know living hundreds of years is certainly a possibility but when you think about that living indefinitely that strikes at the very core of what almost every single religion is teaching because every <laughs> single religion teaches one single thing which is the, the, the afterlife is where you're going to get your your piece of the pie and if you take that away from religion then they're left with they're le- they lose so much of their leverage they lose so much of their reason for actually even following a religion and i feel that as transhumanism and ideas of science, it, it, it's human enhancement, longevity, uh, life extension research. As all that stuff grows and as all that stuff starts hitting in Congress and some of the politicians, they're going to realize, wow, these guys want to live indefinitely. And if they want to live indefinitely, that means they don't need us at all. That means nobody needs us. And that's why I think the conflict will come because the religions will get so scared that, it, you know, before it's one thing when, you know, we're fighting the Catholic Church and saying, oh, you know, you, you should be um, – uh, there should be safe sex or not safe sex or stupid things like that. that that's, those are little things that – little battles that go on you know, indefinitely. But we're actually talking about fundamentally pulling out the rug underneath uh, the major religions of the world and leaving that 95 percent left just simply holding a bag. And um, when we do that, I think that's going to scare the leaders of these religious uh, movements so much. And they're the ones that are going to probably prompt the war. In fact, that's why I created the, the actual storyline in my book based on some of these ideas. Because, you know, it's one thing to challenge uh, an idea, some of the ideas in a religion. It's another thing to take out its, uh, its brain. And that's what we're trying to do with transhumanism is say we can live forever. We have no need anymore of any kind of divine interim intervention. That's a really good point. I, <laughs> I'm ashamed to say that I really didn't think of that <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, so you might be smarter than me, just maybe a little. <laughs> but no, I just I think this is why people like me will go to the streets because at some point it's going to come to a moment when they're going to say this sort of back to the stem cell thing. Okay, this directly affects me, and this you know, and now I can't 
you know, have the length of life that I wanted. And, you know, as I always say, you know, my father had his first heart attack at 51. I just turned 40 and I'm showing very similar signs of health that he had. And I got 11 years left, you know, and the basis of the book, at least the basis of the morality is that your morality is defined by the amount of time you have left to live. So as that uh, window gets closer and as my health gets uh, worse, um, I'm going to go to the streets. That's the only thing that's left. And I know a lot of people, a lot of, uh, there's been so much commotion over the book recently about saying, oh, how could you talk about revolution? This, this, this needs to be peaceful. But it's not peaceful when it comes to your, to your own life. There's nothing peaceful about me dying. And that's why I, I think it's important that we actually establish a, a morality, um, some type of system, an ethical system that says, hey, it's okay to rise up when it comes down to our lives. And, um, you know, that's really what the book's about. I, I can't, I, I have to agree with you. I mean, there, there does have to come a point where you have to stand up and say enough's enough. We've had enough with your BS. You've held us back long enough. It's time for us to move to the future. We, we could be exploring outer reaches of space by now if it wasn't for these bastards. Uh, and and they, they definitely just are holding us back. And they're a blight to humanity. And they, they bring us and they put us into, the, like you said, those petty little fights of you know, uh, safe sex or unsafe sex and abortion and gay marriage. And just these little petty arguments that don't really mean anything. Uh, they just hold on to it just to kind of be a distraction to what we actually need to be focusing on. No, absolutely. They are. They, they, they know these things. They use these things as distractions and they try to keep people, um, you know, basically uh, tied up instead of concentrating on these giant issues, which is, hey, we don't need religion at all. Why don't we just get rid of it? Whoa, I feel a lot better. And you're right. Let's go travel to space now. Let's put all our resources towards other things that can enable the, the human race to live so much better. And um uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I talk a lot about baggage culture in my book, which just kind of sums up what you said, is that they do put these things on you so that you will fight these little things and then, you know, become addicted to your little Walmart trinkets and stuff like this. And pretty soon you, you live in the nine to five world, you got your two car garage, whatever, you're in such a system, it's almost impossible to think outside of it. But the reality is, uh, you're still going to die. And until you change that, until you actually find some type of method of living that is going to extend that, um, the biggest problem of your life is still totally in your face. I wanted to, um, I know we've gone over enough, but if someone was to read your book, let's say, what's, I mean, I know the whole thing's based on the whole philosophy and uh, about transhumanism and what it could accomplish for us. But what is the one thing that you'd really want them to pull away from it? Well, I'd want them to pull away the idea that every single person on the planet, including themselves, faces their own transhumanist wager. Now, you know, it doesn't need to be called a transhumanist wager, but it, it, it is every single person is facing a singular problem. And that problem is that they're going to die and they should be spending a lot more time thinking about it because in the 21st century, this is something we can do something about. And okay, if they're religious, it's very difficult to talk to them because they have some afterlife all planned with pink elephants in the sky and whatnot, you know. But honestly, I think 
most of the younger generation isn't going to buy into that, especially if they just kind of put pull them aside and say, hey, really, honestly, I mean, everyone's going to end up six feet under, you know, I mean, th- this is, you're going to become worms. The idea is that everyone is facing this conflict and we can do something about it. So what can we do about it? Well, whatever it is that you can do about it, whether it's, um, you know, dedicate yourself to science, talk about it in a podcast as you gentlemen are doing, which is great. Um, spend uh, some resources uh, funding some of the, the groups that are doing that, or just um, talk to about your friends. Whatever it is you can do, do something for it because you're doing something for your own life. You're doing something so you can live longer. And, you know, that's kind of based on the fact that you like life. You, you just simply don't want to die. And so that's what I hope people take away, that they face the transhumanist wager themselves and they need to make a choice in it. That is uh, that's definitely poignant and very fantastic. Um, I do have one more thing before we sign off. Um, I got one more thing after that. Oh, sorry. I, go ahead then. Oh, I, well, I just wanted to kind of promote also. I saw that you have the uh, the blog that you're doing now on psychology today. Yes, sir. That is, is that, correct. Okay. Now, I saw the one that you put out there. Is this going to be a weekly, monthly thing that you're going to do or – so it, it has to be at least once a month, but okay. it's more likely to be every few weeks. Okay. And um, yeah, I'm going to be discussing some of the, uh, and I was very excited that they gave it to me because um, honestly, it's the first time a, a kind of a mainstream publication has said, well, go ahead and um, let's talk about some of these ideas. And there's actually a very large following of both futurists and transhumanists and life extension people, longevity, human enhancement, and just tons of science people, I mean, millions of science people out there that actually find a lot of this very interesting. And so I'm excited to be uh, tackling some of the most, um, uh, I'd say, important and uh, essential uh, philosophical questions as well as psychological questions that uh, involve all sorts of things, whatever it is. I mean, half the stuff we've just talked about it. But, you know, I look forward to discussing philosophy of artificial intelligence. I look forward to talking about genetic engineering. I look forward to talking about um, uploading our, our brains and what that means. And just uh, and also just kind of basic stuff. What does uh, something like the transhumanist wager mean? But I'm really excited about it because uh, I feel like it, it means that uh, – society is slowly accepting something like this and putting it into a mainstream media uh, publication so that, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the lay person can actually be introduced to these concepts. Yeah. I have to admit, I read the, uh, the blog that you put out the other day, the, uh, origami cranes and the transhumanist philosopher. And I really enjoyed it. Um, it's, it's funny cause I read it and I'm just thinking this is stuff that we bitch about constantly. The whole thing about funding science and medicine instead of putting money into, you know, these political ventures, usually war and stuff like that. It's like these are the things that we rail on constantly. And uh, it's a definitely it's a great read. And I'd suggest anybody go check it out on psychology uh, So thank you. But, um, I, you know, I don't know if Eric's got anything else, but I really appreciate I, I thought it. I had something else, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> See, easy enough. But uh, <laughs> I really want to, you know, say that we appreciate you taking the time. I mean, you're a fascinating guy. And I mean, you've done quite a bit and I'm jealous of you. I have to admit, I wish I could have done some of the things you've been able to do. Oh, yeah. Uh, You definitely cleared up some things with me because I I was pretty uh, skeptical about transhumanism. I mean, I'm kind of apprehensive about labels altogether. So, you know, I I like to try and keep an open mind and try and understand exactly where it's coming from. And you definitely uh, helped me get a more firm grasp. And actually, I've probably been a transhumanist and I just never knew it. Um, and I also want to apologize for Boggs for not saying a single word this entire time, even though he's been in the room. You don't even know what his voice is like anymore. That's okay. You didn't miss out on anything. Yeah, that's true. Oh, I do well, want to. 
one thing, since uh, you said you're already working on a sequel for this, so when the sequel comes out, you got to come back on now. Now you're forced to. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I, I will absolutely, I would love to. And this has been a great conversation. And, you know, uh, going just to labeling with transhumanism, it's true. You know, I mean, whatever, that's why I'm not even that f- firmly stuck on the name. I mean, I think just in general, people that like life and would like to do logical things like put more money into science and technology so that we can all live better and happier and all these other things. It's such a simple uh, choice when you actually think about it. It just ends up being that somehow we, we, <laughs> you have this blog and I'm sitting here and you know we realize that around the world, whoever listens to it, huge amounts of people would have a very different perspective based on a religious idea or something like that that they've been taught from such a young age and they actually never even had a choice in that. And I think a lot of people, as they kind of think about these things, will probably come and say, you know what, this, this kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, I'm hoping that uh, in, you know, w- perhaps when the sequel is done and I come back, uh, maybe uh, the world will be a, a lot better of a place for all of us. One can only hope. I certainly hope so. Um, but thank you very much for uh, giving us some, some of your time. I know it's probably pretty precious because you're trying to uh, get yourself out there as much as you possibly can because uh, nobody would pick you up before you got popular. Because hey. they're a bunch of bastards, but <laughs> nah, man, you can't. Uh, that's that taboo subject. You can't go against religion in this country. Eh, yeah, that that's a touchy one. But uh, I, I definitely applaud you for uh, sticking sticking yourself out there and saying, you know what, I'm not going to put up with it. I'm going to put this out there. I'm not going to hold back because uh, I think a lot of people would have gone after it and then started to go back a little bit on a lot of their stuff just to be like, ah, well, I don't want to piss off too many people. But you're just kind of like, no, this is this is it. You know, either take me or leave me. And everybody left you, and you just went independent and got got popular. So, kudos to you for sure. Definitely, and uh, we'll definitely throw the link up. And anybody that's listening, go to Amazon, and you can look it up. Uh, the Transhumanist Wager by Zoltan Itzman. So again, we appreciate the time very much. Yeah, hey you guys, I appreciate it too. Thanks so much for a great conversation. All, All right, right, sir. Good luck to everything. Hope to hear from you soon. Okay, thank you. All right, take bye-bye. Care. bye-bye. Take care. All right, I hope you guys enjoyed that fantastic interview there. Did you enjoy that, Boggs? You, with all your silence as he picks up his Boggs is over there sexting. <laughs> he's so distraught about his marriage, he's over there trying to pick up girls all the time, uh, sexting. While I, did, I did text Eric earlier. I was like, hey, you have any slutty friends that you could... I do. What about there? me, asshole? I do hope that... Who else is, watch for $100? I'm single too, you bitch. Whoa, I'm trying to stay on topic here a Sorry. little bit. I hope that the listeners gained some knowledge, or at least uh, there was some thought-provoking stuff in there, which, uh, I mean, is sort of the goal of the whole podcast as it is. It's just trying to get as much information out there as possible to try and provoke thought. Uh, I mean, yeah, we would like to change the world, absolutely, but we we understand that that's kind of an impossibility. But the more information that we bring out, and just like he brought up in the interview, uh, Zoltan, is that if just by standing up, talking to your friends, um, explaining things to other people, that that's that's something. That's better than nothing. Um, Head to tune. And it, it's I don't know if we have these listeners out there, but I know that there are people out there that live in very uh, oppressive uh, regions, areas, or countries where you oh, kind sure. of feel shy to kind of. Uh, provoke any thought or kind of talk about a different way or a different perspective of things. Uh, but I definitely advocate speaking up and, uh, 
definitely trying to get other people involved in conversation. Um, and I mean, if you have violence act, uh, that's towards you because of it, that's absolutely ridiculous. And you definitely need to, uh, give anybody a shout Hell, Tell us, we'll freaking put it on our podcast and we'll try and like pull that stuff out of there. But that's the whole point is at least being vocal, getting out there and trying to provoke that thought, trying to push, uh, the, to, to use the naughty word, the agenda mm-hmm. of trying to make the world a better place. Our socialist liberal agenda. Yeah. Those bastards. I do want to say that we've had, you know, I've had a few more messages on Twitter. People are leaving a few more comments on Facebook and stuff. I appreciate it. We need more, though. And like Eric said, if you have, you know, even with that, you know, how we spoke with um, Zoltan tonight, you know, if you have blog, book, you know, a band, anything, and you're into the same things we are, I mean, if you are into that secular kind of progressive lifestyle and you have a message, you know, get in touch with us because we definitely want to help other people spread the word just like you know we were trying to get our message out we want other people to have a forum as well so and Boggs stop fucking sexting and play some goddamn music (laughs) (coughs) I love you it's not every day that I miss things with these two eyes but it's the only way that I know how to summarize it's too late now for late smiles and long goodbyes. No, it's not every day. It seems like every time that I try to know you, you never let me down with one step forward, two steps back. And it's too late now. Judging your crying eyes Well, it's every day Well, it's every day It's every day I fight to
twist all the lies you've made Forget what your spirit says Believe cause it's for the best You are so beautiful You are so beautiful Hold on, don't be Fuck, I messed up. I'm looking around to see what I can grab hold of it. You are the closest thing I see. I said, you are the closest thing I see. I said, you are the closest thing I see. Yeah, bitches. I love. God. <laughs> yeah, about that. All right, Don't everybody. Even Have try. a good night, everybody. And I think this, yeah, well, well, I mean, we haven't really done a whole lot of interviews, but I think this definitely goes down as the best. Yeah. <clears throat> it def- it Are definitely you sure top- it wasn't his nephew? <laughs> it definitely tops the uh, I was, Dr. Phil. I was, well, I was going to say, and then the previous one I did at the Dollar Rocks, I was a little nervous, man. I was a little shaky on that. But it was a little different because I had him sitting there right in front of me, too, so... But anyway, <laughs> this was a little easier doing it over the. Uh, I think that's because you found her attractive. Yeah. And then I do. I All that. right, folks. Till next you. time, don't tread on others. Yep. Be sure to check out the book, Transhumanist Wager by Zoltan Itzvin and Yellow Bitches. <laughs>